Shabbat Shalom. Hallelujah. Wow. Praise God. <clears throat> so much to say in so little time. Hallelujah. We're in a seven-part series on the gifts of the Spirit. This is our final in the series, and it's a good number to stop on, right? Seven is the number of completion, so we will complete with our seventh in the series called Empowered by Love. Empowered by Love. You know, the supernatural gifts of God through the Holy Spirit are powerful and rewarding for those who receive them and give them away. However, their effectiveness, the effectiveness of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are inextricably tied to love. If they are not birthed and nurtured and exercised in love, they will have little or no impact. If they are immersed and arise out of love, their impact will be life-giving and eternal. Not only does the person who receives that, which is birthed out of love, it reaches them, it impacts them, it changes them, not only in the here and now, all the way into eternity. It's an amazing thing how the love of God connects us here and brings us forward for all eternity. So let's explore the nature of love and how it relates to the gifts, and most importantly, how to flow in it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 27 through 31, that's going to be kind of our text that leads us into this introduction of love. It says this, Now you were Christ's body, body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various type, kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not miracle workers, are they? All do not have the gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? And all do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. A more excellent way of what? A more excellent way of building up the community than gifts alone. Gifts are important, but without love, they're not going to get the job done. The more excellent way that Paul proposes is to harness the gifts with this love of God thing, to birth them in love, to move in love, to give them in love. That's what's going to build up the community. Keep in mind the context of this passage is the community. It's not society. The context is not the workplace, nor the home, nor your marriage. It's the church. It's the faith community. What Paul gives us relates to us as a community when we meet together corporately. The general rule of love is to treat others the way you want to be treated. I know that sounds so trite, right? We've heard that so many times, but it's so true. It's so true. It's the golden rule, right? 
Treat others the way you want to be treated. When you create an awareness about others and their well-being, it'll transform your life. When you move from yourself to thinking about those around you, those under your care, those that you answer to, when you think of those around you and you put them first and you treat them the way you want to be treated, it's revolutionary. It's amazing what will happen when we do that. It's the ability to empathize, to understand what people are going through, and to try to reach them in that place. Today, we are looking at what love looks like in a faith community. Again, not in a marriage. That's different. It's a different context. There's different rules and different applications for that relationship or, or in a business or in government. What we're talking about is what does love look like in a faith community? Let's begin. First Corinthians 13, one through 13. Paul says this. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If there's no love, this, this gift has no purpose. The gift has no impact, has no meaning. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. You, you know, part, part of the problem in Corinth is everyone's kind of like, jostling for the greater gifts. Why? Because they're using the gifts as kind of a measurement of how important they are, how spiritual they are. And Paul's saying, really? That's not even the purpose of the gifts. You know, that, that is like a fleshly approach to the gifts. And, and without love, no one really cares about your gift. Isn't that true? You, you know, we, we tend to care about others when we know they genuinely care about us. And so you can have big spiritual experiences and big spiritual gifts, but if you don't have love, people will not relate to you. They don't care about your gift. People want to be loved. People want to know that you matter or that I matter. That's what's important to people. Do you care about me? And if so, then your gift becomes important. But if you don't care about me, I'm sorry, I probably won't be relating to you regardless of your gift. Verse 3, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So according to Paul, love is the more excellent way. According to Paul, when we couple the gifts with love, then the gifts actually work the way they're intended to work. Love is the more excellent way. So the big question, of course, is what exactly is love? What is love? Define love, right? You know, we have competing worldviews in our society. A worldview is how you view the world around you from its inception, how it got here, 
to meaning and purpose who we are, is there a God, to how we live our lives, how we marry, how we view our sexuality, our gender, how we view you know, uh, um, our, our, our social concerns related to healthcare and so forth. All of the mindset that surrounds that is called a worldview. And there's a lot of different worldviews. Even the nature of love, right? What is love? Well, the world has its own set of definitions as to what love is. And when you analyze the definition, God says, that's not love. That's not what love is. And so we have this competing view of even what love is. And, and really, we have to say, who would know what love is? Because that's the one I want to talk to, right? And God, the one who created all things out of nothing, the creator of the universe, right? He discloses himself through his son. He reveals that he is love. He says, I am love. And, and so all, you know, everything there is to know about God is a communication of what love is. So to understand love is to understand God. To understand God is to understand love. And we get a peek at some of these ideas of what love is in chapter 13. Love is a verb. We'll put that up. Love is a verb. Now, it's much more than that. But I want to communicate to you that love is never static. It's alive. It's dynamic. What I mean by dynamic is when you encounter love, it actually re reverberates. It's a living dynamic uh, 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 um, experience that can change you and me. It's alive. It has a high impact on our souls as we interact with it. God is love, right? And as the children of God, we too are called to receive his love and to release it to each other in the church. So let's look at the definition. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind, and it is not jealous. I've put envious up there because really the import of the Greek word in terms of the context is really about envy and not jealousy. Um, and, and many translations will actually translate it as envious. The particular translation I'm using doesn't, but that's okay. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love, love is found in the smile of those who are at ease in their hearts. When you think about that, right? Smile. You know, when you, when you see someone and they smile, isn't that so inviting? What, what does the smile communicate, right? It, it communicates an acceptance, communicates a joy, a peace, right? Kind of that easiness of, 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 of a person that's easy to approach. Why did God give us faces? You know, I, how'd this whole smiling thing come about? But you know, it's kind of universal. It doesn't matter what group you're in, what culture, what part of the world. Everyone understands that. I wonder if Adam and Eve understood that. You know, they, they had to be the first ones that, that smiled and kind of communicated what a smile was. Could have been frightening at the very beginning, right? Because you get to see all the teeth, you know, and usually in the wild when you see teeth, it's time to run, right? 
but there's nothing as, uh, as inviting, as healing, is a person who loves you, and when they see you, they smile and communicate to you that you're worth something. That's what it means to be kind. It means to communicate through language and through attitude and through our faces that we love one another. It's chilled. It's laid back. It isn't anxious, right? It's patient. It's forbearing. It's forbearing. You got problems? How many people have problems here? Okay. How many people have sins? Yeah, same thing. Problem, sin, mistake, call it whatever you want, right? We all have those. We all have those, right? Forbearance is overlooking that. For, to be forbearing means I overlook your problems. Why? Because I got my problems, right? So I'm not going to be judgy because if I was to be judged, I wouldn't meet the standard anyway. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to overlook your stuff and just love you. And I want you to overlook my stuff and love me, and love me, right? So let's just smile a lot. Because that communicates a forbearing spirit, an easygoing heart that isn't judgy. It's being kind to one another. And let's not be envious. What, what is envy? You know, envy and jealousy, they're really different. Um, they're different in that, that jealousy is when you're trying to take something that belongs to me. And you, you've, t- you've taken that. You know, and now I'm jealous because it belongs to me. Give it back. Uh, envy is not about what you own. It, it's about wanting someone else's stuff. That's what it means to envy. And when it says love is not envious, what that means is it's not clamoring after other people's stuff. It's not clamoring after other people's positions. It's not clamoring after other people's gifts. It's not clamoring after their personality traits. You know, oh, that person, you know, might have a a particular personality trait that you really just, oh, I wish I could be like that. Well, why? That's not you. Don't wish to be like someone else. You are you. No one's like you. You're unique. You're the only you. Be proud of that. Be you. Don't envy other people or their stuff or their positions. That's not love. That's the opposite of love. Love is patient, love is kind, and it doesn't envy. It thinks about other people's well-being and happiness. That makes a great marriage, and that's off track, because I'm not talking about marriage. But let me take a little lamb trail. One of the keys and secrets to a happy marriage is when a husband is not thinking about his own needs, but is focused on the needs of his wife. And he finds his joy, his adventure, in meeting her needs, finding out what what she's interested in, what makes her tick, what, what she gets excited about, and then doing those things and participating in those things that are meaningful to her. Yeah. You know what normally happens? A wife gets so blessed by that that she begins to say, how can I make him happy? What are his needs? What are his joys and thrills? Man, I'm buying a shotgun. I'm going hunting with him next year or whatever, you know. I'm buying him a fishing pole or whatever. So, so it's, it's two people who are focused on each other's happiness, not their own. 
And that is counterintuitive, but that's how it works. All right, back to my text. 1 Corinthians 13.4, the ongoing elaboration of the definition of love. Love doesn't brag. Love isn't boastful. It's not arrogant. You know, it's not, it's not conceited and heady thinking of itself. You know, people that are proud only think, think of themselves and their own accomplishments. And they just want other people to acknowledge that as well. Haman was proud. Remember Haman? Oh, yeah, we're coming up to Esther. We've been studying that every week. I hear some of the people that have been coming, right? Gosh, he was, he was the consummate proud one. He becomes prime minister of Persia, a superpower, the world power of the day. He's second to the king, and he is so enamored with himself. He talks about himself all the time, all his accomplishments. He's just full of himself. It's just Haman, Haman, Haman. Everyone's bowing. He comes in the room. You better bow, right? Or he'll have your head. There's Mordecai. He doesn't bow. And he's so frustrated. He's so angry. It says he's enraged with Mordecai. He can't enjoy his stature, his position, his things, because he's so bothered by one guy who says, I can't bow. I'm a Jew. That he wants to kill all the Jews. That's pride. That's pride. The opposite of love. It looks down his nose at others. Well, I'm, I'm here. Everyone else is down here. And you treat people differently because you view them as less than you. That's the opposite of love. Love always views the other person as more important. Love says you're made in the image of God. You, your life matters because you're made in the image of God. Therefore, I will love you. I will honor you. I will talk about you. I will build you up. Love isn't focused on self. It's focused on others. And again, when you focus on others, (laughs) it's just weird how your own needs get met. Counterintuitive. Verse 5. Love does not act unbecomingly. Okay? What does that mean? It means it's not rude. It's not rude and it's not dishonoring. Now, if you need to understand what is rude and dishonoring, if you want to know what it means to act unbecomingly, just look at our political arena. Just look at the Facebook posts. Just look at your own posts. Sometimes we find ourselves what? Proud, condescending, rude, and unbecoming. Yeah, we're called to be gracious with one another, honoring in spite of our shortcomings. We honor each other because we're made in the image of God, not because we're perfect. None of us are. We don't treat people according to their shortcomings. We treat people according to their status, image of God, God integers. Verse five, it does not seek its own. It does not seek its own. It's focused on helping others grow in their faith. It never gives in order to receive something back. How do you give? And what do you give away? And when you give that to others, 
Are you seeking something in return? Are you all blown out when you give something to someone and it appears they don't appreciate it? They don't thank you. They don't write a note to you or whatever. And you're thinking, what? How dare they? Well, that's not love. No, that's more of a bribe. Do you give with an expectation of receiving something back? That's more akin to a bribe. The joy in giving is when you can give just to give and have no expectation of getting anything back. The joy is in the giving. The reward is in the act of giving itself. And then if you get a thank you, it's like, whoa, unexpected. Now my joy is soaring even higher. But that was because you had no expectation of anything in return. Love protects the community. The harvest. We're a local church. Have we done everything right over the years? Of course not. Have we made mistakes? Yeah. Have we hurt people from time to time? Yes. We've made mistakes. None of our decisions, none of our policies or judgments are ever perfect but we will stand by and with our imperfect but glorious community, right? We might fight among ourselves and strive and get upset, but no one touches on us outside this community. Anyone that wants to touch on the harvest answers to the whole community because the nature of love, according to Paul, is that you protect your local communities from those that would cause division. I was talking to one of our members. He says, yeah, we were with some people that used to go here years ago, and, and they're still upset. They're all worked up and talking smack about the harvest. And I just said, hold on, hold on, hold on. You don't go there anymore. You laughed, and that's okay. That's okay. But you don't go there anymore, so don't talk about them. I still go there. Stop it. Praise God, that's right. That's right. Is my wife perfect? No, she's not. And you want to point out her stuff? Not with me around. Yeah. I know she's not perfect, but that doesn't mean you get to point all that out. Why? She's my wife. Our community's not perfect, but if you want to come and try to highlight that, not in front of me, not in my presence, and not in the presence of our members, you too should stand and say, no, you don't get to talk smack about the harvest. That's where I go. That's my community. Of course, it's not perfect. Where do you go, by the way? Right. Yeah, uh-huh. Right? Okay. Love demands that we safeguard the dignity of each other and our community. Verse 5. It goes on to say, love is not provoked. I want to I soften that up a little bit. Love is not easily provoked. Love is not easily provoked, right? It's okay to be angry. Jesus said, be angry, but don't sin. What does that mean? That means don't dwell on the anger, don't nurture the anger, don't grow the anger. It'll lead you into a place of sin, but it's okay to be angry. I think when Paul says, 
It's not provoked. He's saying, no, it's not easily provoked. It can get provoked at a given point, but it's not easily provoked. What does that mean? That as a community, we're not easily provoked. We're not easily offended. If you're the kind of person, if you're the kind of member that, that if anyone says anything or, or anyone comes up and, and, and gives any amount of reproof or correction or direction and you get all whacked out, it's an evidence that you don't understand love. And, and part of that is maybe you've not received love fully enough from the Father yet to even get free from what other people may do to you. This love thing is something we have to grow into, something we have to nurture, something we have to like stir up, right? We, 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 we learn to practice love. It's a verb. But this idea of offense is that when love matures, it's not easily offended. You, you, you know, we're told in another place, if someone strikes you on the cheek, what do you do? You, you turn the other cheek. That's not their cheek, by the way. That's not the other cheek. It's your other cheek, right? And, and, and that's, a, that's a community passage, okay? That's not, talking about, that's not talking about nations at war. It's not talking about self-defense issues or anything. It's talking about in the community of faith, you get in a fight with your brother, and he actually smacks you. What does he deserve? What does he deserve? A bigger smack. Knock him on his back, right? That's what he deserves. What love says is this. Love says, I'm going to give you the other cheek. It's unbelievable. You actually hit me? You Really? Well, here. Here's my other one. You want to hit that one too? I mean, what do you want to do here, brother? You know, you turn that other cheek. You give it to him to help him to understand that what he did was unbecoming. It wasn't love either. But that's how you stop it, by offering the other cheek. The nature of love is I'll suffer a wrong because I love you. I want to help you. And what you did was wrong. Yeah, that's the nature of love. Turns the other cheek. It's not easily provoked. Now, if I turn the other cheek, and hit me again. <laughs> and then I turn and hit. Yeah, at a given point, I will be provoked. I will be provoked. And you do not want me provoked. Because I know how to do some stuff. I do. I do. So, love is, we're going to be patient and kind and we're going to learn to suffer wrong because we love each other. We love each other. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, the final part says, Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. We've all been wronged by each other. It's the nature of community. The question is, what do we do with that? When we're wronged, what do we do? Do we pray for the one that's wronged us? Or do we become resentful? Do we focus on it? Do we try to grow it to the place that we become vengeful, that we seek to pay back the one that hurt us? Yeah. The nature of love is what? To quickly forgive. Not to brood over the wrong, but rather to quickly forgive. And when you forgive, you're not letting them off the hook. When you forgive, you're simply releasing them and allowing God to do whatever he wants. God is just. He'll take care of it. And so when you forgive your brother or sister who wrongs you, it frees you from that resentment and that bitterness that if you dwell on that for a while and cultivate that, it'll give an opening for the devil to come and do his work, whatever that might be. 
That's why Paul says in another place, be angry, but sin not. Don't let, don't let the sun go down on your anger and thereby give the devil room to begin to work in your heart or your life. You don't want that. So we learn to be like our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven is what? Compassionate, kind, merciful, and quick to forgive. We want to be like him. So we quickly forgive one another, and then we allow God to address that, and he always does. And then our brothers or sisters come back, and they say, gosh, I was really hard on you, or whatever, and they, they apologize. It's all good. It works to our own good. So we have to learn that. We have to practice that. Love is a verb. You practice it. Love is like riding a bike. You get on it, you gotta pedal, or you're gonna fall, right? Yeah, that's love. Love is something you practice, and if you don't, it dissipates. Verse 6, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It never rejoices in evil or injustice. It finds its joy in the truth. The truth about what? Anything and everything. God is the God of love and truth. Truth about what? Truth about who we are. Truth about our gender. Truth about our sexuality. Truth about how we marry. Truth, truth about work ethics and money and everything. What is God saying? Because it's always counterintuitive. It's always different from what the world says about those same areas. So when you discover something that's true, that's in conflict with what you've embraced, the nature of love is to say, I'm giving it up, God, because you know what's going on. You know the truth, and what you say is true. Help me to embrace that. Help me change and come in alignment with that. Because true love always embraces the truth. Yeah, it has a heart for what is true. Verse 7, our second to final verse. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Ministry's hard. Ministry's hard. I mean, I mean, our volunteer base that gets everything done every week, it's a lot of work. It's not easy. You know, ministry's not easy. It's work. It's laborious. But it's for the Lord. There's there's reward in that. It bears all things and bears it well. You know, I see people come in every week, week in, week out. They work so hard and they smile. And I know that it's hard work. They're not really saying, oh, I love getting up early, you know. I love coming here and cleaning and sweeping and after people leave, you know. No, what it is is this. They realize it's ministry to the Lord and to his people, and it's part of my duty to this community. And so I smile because I know this is love. You bear well the ministry that you carry, especially as leaders. The leaders carry even, even a greater amount of burden. I look at some of our leaders, and I know how hard they work and how many hours they put in. They smile at me, and I'm saying, well, thank you very much. Because I know inside you're probably saying, I'm on the verge of quitting. It's a lot of work. But I love God so much. And he gives me grace. And so I bear it well. And I smile in the midst of it. Because I know the Lord is in it. That's love. It's always full of faith. It's always full of hope. 
And it never, ever gives up. It never gives up. You know, and this is true of all churches. Not just our church. It's true of all churches. You know, people come, they get excited. It's that honeymoon phase. Oh, I just love this place. I love this place. You know, and it's like, oh my gosh, these people are jerks. That's phase two, right? These people are jerks, you know? Phase three is, I'm a jerk too. Oh my gosh, I'm a jerk too. Oh, you know, what am I going to do? Phase four is, well, we're all a community of jerks. I belong here. I fit, right? So we all kind of get along as jerks that are growing in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then after a while, there are those who kind of drop off. After a while, they leave. They get tired. They get impatient. You know, they, they get offended or whatever. And then they leave. They leave and they go nowhere. They're just, ah, I'm done with the church. I tried the church. Yeah, well, why don't you try love? Why don't you try love? See, if you had love, you wouldn't have left. Why? Because love endures all things. It bears all things. It never gives up. You can't give up on your community. You can't give up on each other. This is the Lord's people, the Lord's body, his temple. How can you give up on that? We need the love of God. We need to embrace and stir up the love of God. We need to to just ask for more of his love so that we can endure to the end. It's not how fast you run. It's how well you finish the race. I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how talented you are, how competent you are. Let's see if you're here in 20, 30 years. Yeah, can you finish the race? Yeah, it's about finishing, not starting, not how fast you run, how well you finish. Okay. Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. But now faith Hope, love, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. 2023, as we come into our new year, let's make it a year of love. Let's make it a year of receiving the Father's love. Let's make it a year of loving our, ourselves. And let's make it a, a year of loving each other, right? And we'll take the gifts and we'll take ministry and we'll take our church places that has never gone before because the love of God is transformational. It changes us. It changes organizations. It can change a nation. Shabbat shalom.